Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Philly 4-0 and in the preseason. Just kidding, I'm not that excited. But uh, but again, <laughs> the games are going to start to count next week. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. Of course, also check us out at libertyballers.com. Paul Hedrick leading the charge over there. Also have a ton of talented writers. One of them joining me for this one, as he usually does for the postgame show, Mr. Jackson, Frank Jackson. Preseason, for the Sixers at least, is now finally done. How excited are you for Tuesday's opening night matchup against the Celtics? Uh, I think it should be really fun. Uh, I think you saw glimpses, you know, of how this team can be really good and how kind of their new additions can help. And you saw some areas for them to continue growing, but uh, should be two of the top three or four teams in the in the East and obviously, you know, longtime rivals. So uh, looking forward to it for sure. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some weird expectation with this Sixers team that like half the people are like, well, they're, they're going to be, you know, the big dogs in the East right there with Milwaukee and Boston. Then you have this other contingent. I feel like who are kind of still putting those, putting the Sixers below the Milwaukee's and, and, and the Boston's in the East. So I'm just looking forward to the games actually starting to mean something counting in the standings. But again, we've said this before on the podcast and I'll, I'll continue to say this throughout the regular season, whether the Sixers go on a 20 game winning streak or a nine game losing streak, nobody cares because they're going to be judged how far they go come time for April, May and June of next year. I want to jump into this preseason game, the final one being played. It's a, it's a Wednesday night when we're recording this, uh, the Sixers end up again, like I mentioned now undefeated for the four games winning 99, 94, uh, nothing too much to break down in terms of, wow, this guy really, you know, blew us away in terms of a, a backup guy or um, somebody looking totally out of it. But want to just jump into some little details, Jackson, about each of the players um, that kind of made a bit of a statement in this one, I would say. No surprise, Doc Rivers ended up going with the starting lineup of Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Harden, Tobias Harris, and P.J. Tucker. Um, starters look pretty good overall. Joel and, and, and Harden were really good. I think they combined for 18 points in the, in the first quarter alone. But when you look at Harden specifically, and I saw that you had tweeted about it um, during the during the first quarter, I also took some notes on it too. I'm like, you know what? He doesn't look like he has that same burst, uh, which we've all talked about in the athleticism. And clearly he wouldn't, you know, from three, four years ago, he's now 33 years old. But his shot selection looked really, really good. His footwork, again, maybe not as quick and dynamic as we would have saw from MVP Harden, but the way he was able to use his smarts, use his footwork to get him some nice open jumpers from the paint, I like the way he was very confident with the three-pointers. When you're seeing the way he's playing now, and again, these games don't mean anything, but we're kind of getting an indication of what he's going to be looking like come time for Tuesday. Well, what, what were your thoughts on Arden Harden? How much are you liking what he's done so far? Yeah, I think it's. I think you should be pretty encouraged about what you've seen from Harden. Uh, obviously, you no, know, we've talked about it, you know, at length you know, at times on this podcast. But I think you know my expectation was always for him to get back to kind of that All NBA level rather than that MVP level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you you've seen signs of that. You know, I don't think he looks you know like the explosive guy we saw in Houston where nobody could ever stay in front of him. But I think he looks better than last year. Um, I think the biggest area that he still doesn't quite have, and I don't know if he'll ever get back, is like 
what he used to do so well in his prime is when he would get into the lane in kind of a crowded lane, he would kind of maneuver and change kind of his change direction and still be super powerful and, and whatnot. And now he doesn't quite have that. Like the lane is crowded a lot and he's not able to kind of like he gets downhill initially, but then the defense collapsed and he has to find a read. Fortunately, he's still a very good passer. And I think he's very much collapsed in the defense a ton uh, through these three games he's played. Uh, I think what was most encouraging today was the, you know, the, the Hornets were giving a lot of mid-range looks and that's historically a shot that we know Harden doesn't like to incorporate into a shot profile, but I think he took like four or five mid-range pull-ups in the first half alone against Charlotte. Um, teams are selling out to stop Harrell on the roll and beat on the roll. Sometimes he's getting that floater available to him. So um, he didn't make any of them. And I think he's only made one or two mid-range jumpers through pre- three preseason games, but um, small sample, obviously he's gonna have to make shots at some point, but the process is encouraging. So um, I think he looks like a guy who could be, a, you know, in that 12 to 18 range in terms of, you know, a player this year. And that's better than the 25 to 30 he was probably in last year. So um, you should be encouraged. But yeah, if you're expecting MVP Harden, you're certainly not feeling great. But I think it was always a little bit audacious to expect that. But um, I've been encouraged. He looks, he looks a little more spry. He looks snappier on those step back jumpers. Looks like his shot, shot profile of stuff that he's comfortable with. Just a matter of making them now and. Um, obviously he did from three today going four of eight, but inside the arc has not been super kind to him, but I think he definitely looks improved athletically and the, the playmaking is still there. So all in all, I deem this successful, you know, preseason for Harden based on what my expectations were, but obviously I can't speak for everyone else. Yeah. But that's the interesting part too, right? Jackson, like you're looking at Harden. Okay. Likely not, like you mentioned, going to be one of the top five players in the NBA. He was dominant. He was great on those Houston teams when he was averaging 35, 36 points a game, obviously won an MVP at that time, but ultimately we're like four years removed from you know the the peak of his game and the pinnacle of his career in terms of an individual basis but when you look at the what he can bring to this sixer squad in terms of having him beat as a lead dog maxi slowly starting to you know chip away at becoming okay maybe this guy is going to be the legit number two on philly in terms of getting the ball in the hoop and then you got hard in there who is obviously capable of scoring 20 points a game, still very capable of averaging double-double assists, saw that throughout the playoffs last season. But again, I agree with you, not exactly the same person, but I think he looks better than he did during the regular season and playoffs last year with that hamstring injury. So again, green, a good thing for the Sixers in terms of that this is going to be a win going into, into game number one. Another thing I want to talk to you about as well, Jackson, looking at, at the rotations as well, we saw Montrez Harrell become the backup center for this game. He didn't play on Monday night against Cleveland, but uh, he got the bulk of the, of the minutes behind Joel in the, in the first half. And then Paul Reed did get some, get some run late there with, I think he only played about six minutes in the, in the fourth quarter, but uh, we saw Harold do that. I like what I've seen from Montrez Harold so far, 14 points in this one, uh, six rebounds, very active around the hoop, willing to step in and take charges. Again, not the most athletic guy in terms of he's going to be a crazy rim protector and then, and, uh, you know, alley-oop option, but very solid, looks good. And I like what Doc said after the game. He said, you know, that's going to be a fluid situation between Harrell and Reed. And we've talked about this a little bit before as well. Like, do you think that's a better way to go? Because I've always said that with NBA coaches, sometimes it gets so stuck on a rotation that it, it's like they lose the opportunity to adapt to the opponent given an, uh, you know any given night when you're playing in, in the regular season. So when you hear Doc say that, Jackson, that we're going to roll with this like, uh, you know, an open-ended thing. Like, okay, depending on Paul Reed brings more athleticism. He's better in terms of guarding the pick and roll and, and getting out and having to switch onto a guard. But sometimes when we need a dog out there, we're going with Harold. Do you agree with Doc's approach to this so far? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, and I, I'm going to write about you know, that before you know, or, or the first game on Tuesday. 
but it should be a fluid situation. You saw some success against Cleveland on Wednesday with Tucker at the small ball five, you know, as MB rested, you know, against the Cavs. Uh, you've seen some really good stuff from Paul Reed. I thought Paul Reed was fantastic against Cleveland on Wednesday, he's, especially on defense. Like he's got to figure some stuff out on offense. He's got to be a more efficient uh, role man and whatnot. But the defense, like the, the rotations, the activeness, the mobility, the hands, like all of that. I mean, I think he had like six combined steals and blocks on Monday. So you can see that. And then with Harrell, you see, you know, how, how well he can fight through contact as a scorer, how well he tacks the glass, draws fouls, really good touch around the rim. So you've got four different looks. If you include Embiid, obviously Embiid is the starter, but we've got four diverse looks. You can, you can have that, that start that, that during your, your center's minutes. So, uh, and the good thing too, with Harold and, and, and Reed is that they, of course they have their flaws, but they, they play with a certain kind of level of activity and liveliness that I don't think is always replicated from guys who might, you know, oscillate in and out of the lineup or the rotation, I should say. So that, that, that builds well. Of course, you want to kind of have things surrounding players understand kind of here's how I have to play when Harold's in, here's how to play when Reed's in, here's how to play when Tucker's in, kind of how their roles and kind of what they should focus on change as well. But um, yeah, I think that's that's what you sh- you want to hear from the coach. And that's what we've seen. You know, we saw Reed get some backup minutes at times over Harold. You saw Tucker get some big minutes. I know, you know, obviously, like I said, on Monday. So um, I think Doc has handled this well. And now it's, you know, it's meaningless games and it's, he's going to have to prove that, you know, he's going to continue to be fluid during the regular season and and push the right buttons in the postseason, you know, for what he's prepping for. Um, but yeah, that's that's the right comment. And his actions so far is back, have backed up his words. And I think the Sixers are in a good spot, assuming he continues to kind of exhaust, you know, all these different resources at his disposal to fill the, the 48 plus minutes of center of center play. I was, I was laughing just towards the end there. Cause I was like, Hey, you know, Jackson, like, yeah, we're, we're praising doc rivers on this podcast. <laughs> like, Hey, he's doing a good job with being flexible, which is it's okay to do, you know what I mean? in, in this day and age of the NBA, but then the bad side of it, um, again, these games don't mean anything, but we can kind of extrapolate some some data from from what we're seeing. And a lot of the times we're seeing the the bench guys come on, Jackson. So far for the four preseason games has been not staggering. We saw Joel with an all bench lineup, but he's kind of still going with at times maybe all five bench guys out there. Do you agree with that with that uh, setup so far right now? And again, hopefully he he can adapt to this because it's weird. Last season it was like Matisse Thybul. Uh, Cork Moss, Shake Milton, and of course, George Niang, those were the backups. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we assumed. Like, we knew as as the first quarter wore on and we got into the second quarter, those were going to be the, the four guys we saw coming off the bench. Now, obviously, with the added depth with Melton, with Daniel House, um, also with Montrez Harrell, who, who got who got in early today for, for Embiid in the first quarter. You're looking at this and like, okay, he, he's, he, again, it's a good thing the Sixers have this depth and, and Niang, obviously, I think, still very much a part of Doc's plans, but uh, Milton, uh, Matisse, and 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 Ferk are not really getting that run. But do you like what Doc's doing with the? And we'll jump into that in a second. But do you like what Doc's doing with the the second rotations right now, or do you want to see him try and figure that out a little bit more? With okay, maybe go with Joel and 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 Harden and Maxi for six minutes in the first quarter, get one or two of them off, and then you can kind of have two of them on one or two of them on the court at all times throughout the game. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of that lineup that that we saw. Uh for you know maybe four or five minutes, you know, late, late first, early second with Maxi. And I think it was Melton, House, Niang, and and Harrell. Um, I especially don't like the Niang Harrell combo. I think that's really tough defensively. Uh, I think ideally you're going to keep Tucker or Tobias out there alongside Harrell and then pair Niang's minutes with with Embiid. Um, especially if you're going to be keeping Harden and Embiid's minutes together a lot. We saw how how well Harden and Niang can work. 
mm-hmm. you know, offensively with that kind of that pick and pop style stuff last season, kind of the, the Ryan Anderson role that Harden and Anderson played together in Houston a lot. So, or at least you know, worked well, I should say is the better phrasing. So didn't love that. Like I, I can, I can get behind, like if you want to keep Harden and Embiid together, just because they're so good, especially offensively. Um, but I think you'd still need to have at least two or three starters out there. Like if you're going to put Matt, I just, I just think that the other thing too is, you know, I, I talked about this and I've written about it. Melton is just not the secondary ball handler that I think the Sixers want. And maybe at times the Grizzlies thought, and then maybe ultimately they didn't have confidence in fulfilling. And that's why they moved on from him. Um, the pull-up jumper's not there. He's not a good finisher. The decision-making kind of comes and goes. Um, really, really good 3 and D wing, 3 and D guard, whatever you want to call him. And you've seen how well he can fill that role. Um, but he's just not the level of self-creator and decision-maker that you need as kind of your your third ball handler. And I think the Sixers are hoping he is. And I I think it's okay to to try and explore that in the, the preseason. That's, that's what you want, right? You want to kind of see what you have with new players and how they thrive in a new situation. But um, that worries me, so... Just didn't like that particular lineup. I, I, I would still be a little bit hesitant if it, you know, if, even if you had Tobias in there as well, or maybe Tucker, or maybe both of them. But I would still get it. Like if you have two or three of your starters in there, and your your starting lineup is a really really good starting five, um, you'd be okay. But I definitely didn't like Maxi plus four bench guys. I still like. I think Maxi's gonna be really good. He's already really good. I still think he has some time and skills to learn uh about kind of being a lead guard and just his size is always going to be an inhibitor at times as well unfortunately um in terms of kind of how he can create against a primary defender um you know in terms of the guy who's gonna in terms of the guy who's gonna take the best defender you know at, you know on him so um didn't like that and again i guess it's okay if it's a if it's preseason like you want maxi's development of that so you use these meaning these meaningless games in terms of win losses and not in terms of development as as a means to do that but um yeah i wasn't a huge fan of that configuration but i can see many paths where it's okay if you're not staggering and beating hard and you just have to make sure that you're not leaving maxi alone on an island with four good bench guys but they still all been they're still they are still bench guys and that's a important caveat when you're talking about kind of you know the, the ideal lamps for a team with championship championship aspirations yeah and you gotta you gotta go with getting like i agree with you having at least two of those guys out there like from the starting five is is imperative throughout the year like pj tucker is not gonna uh create a, a whole lot of offense everybody knows that he's mostly gonna stand in the corner and take threes and uh set some screens and try and get some offensive rebounds so again but having him out there it just gives a level of quality that you might not get and and in terms of when you're going further down the line if you do go with i'm, I'm not saying they're interchangeable like that but you go with like matisse dybul or shake milton there's there's just a difference in that but I agree with you. I didn't. I haven't liked Melton being the guy bringing up the ball. I haven't liked Melton being the primary ball handler in a pick and roll situation. I just don't obviously think that that's suited for him. As you mentioned, uh, a lot of people in the Grizzlies, you know, may may have thought that. But again, we're not seeing um, that that aspect of his game be something that's a go to come time for the regular season. So I hope Doc does tinker with that. Again, it's preseason. If they're 20 games into the year and he's still being stubborn and, and things aren't kind of ironing themselves out, sure, we could talk about it. But right now, a lot, a lot of time between now and game 82. Add on that too. Like, I think, you know, even if you're only going to have one of Tucker Harris out that right there, it, it gives you options, right? Because like I mentioned, the Yang Harrell's a really tough defensive lineup versus, you know, uh, offensively, like when that line of Max, the, of the Maxi Melton, uh, House Niang Harrell lineup. You only have like really one guy who can create a shot. So if Tobias is in there at the four, or the three, whatever it is. You can at least like you don't want Tobias being a lead creator, but like you feel better at times about you know you feel better if if you toss a grenade to Tobias Harris to create than a George Niang or Daniel House. 
And then conversely, if you're putting if you're putting Tobias and PJ out there, then you put Niang and House out there with Harden and Embiid, and they fit really well alongside those two. And then if you're only going to run nine-man rotation, you could put Maxi back in or keep Maxi and keep Melton in. And then you've got some really fun stuff there. So, um, you know, I'm okay with keeping Harden and Embiid together a lot because they can play really well in the minutes, you know, that the, the, they're there together. But um, I think you got to be more diligent about the surrounding players if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of keep them together. And that's that's where my my qualms existed, at least in today's, you know, rotations. Yeah. Well, we saw that last year too, Jackson, and we'll jump into a break in a second, but like you're saying, it was, there was times last year where Embiid and Harden are on the floor. The Sixers are up seven, eight points, five points, you know, and then the bench guys come in and all of a sudden they're down by two, three. And so we saw that a lot last year where it was, the starters are building up this lead. The bench guys are the predominantly bench bench guys lineup comes out and all of a sudden the Sixers are down by seven and they have to make up that that gap again. And I think that's where people want to see him tinker with things, get it right. By all means, you want to play Joel and, and, and Harden together. They have great chemistry. They're figuring each other out in terms of the pick and roll, the spacing, all that fun stuff, because they're elite level guys and elite level thinkers of the game. By all means, do that. But figure out the rest of it behind them because otherwise like you said you don't want to have maxi out there with a bunch of guys who can't help him in in terms of putting the ball into the hoop uh, let's take a short break here jackson wanted to jump into a couple more topics we'll do that coming up in about a minute support for this podcast comes from smart water life moves pretty fast are you drinking water that can keep up smart water alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated no matter where your day takes you whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea smart water alkaline can help you perform your best it delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, Jackson, we're back. Uh, we touched a little bit on Tobias Harris there before the break, you know, just in terms of maybe he'd be an option to put out there with Maxi and alongside Tucker, like with the second rotation. But I noticed this during the during the preseason. Uh, you noticed it as well. I think we talked about last week um, shooting, just not even hesitating on the catch and shoot threes. Uh, again, not didn't shoot the rock particularly well in this game. Ended up missing uh, two three pointers from there, but again, not seeing the hesitancy that we might have last year or the tendency to pick it up, put his head down, and try and create off penetration. When you look at Toby's game and you look at the fact that what the NBA is today compared to a decade ago in terms of being a cat and shoot, catch and shoot three pointer league, do you think Harris is going to be able to 
obviously he's adding that to his game, but do you think that he'll be at least league average shooting on catch and threes right now, uh, catch and shoot threes? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's, you know, you can tell some of these misses aren't very pretty. Like you can tell it's something that he's clearly making a conscious effort to let it, just let it rip. Um, and this sounds like a very, I don't even want to say it necessarily, but like, you could argue at times that like he's too quick to take some of these shots. Like they're closing out so aggressively that maybe he can't put on the deck. Now, you know, I know I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that's like, you could see that lens, but that's a good thing because we've talked about for so many years now that Tobias needs to kind of just let it fly and not think so much on the catch. And so um, it's a, it's a good problem to have the fact that like, maybe, maybe like the driving lanes are a little more open for you now that you, you're taking so many more threes, but um yeah, man, the, the shots have the shots haven't fallen for him, you know, in this preseason. But I really liked his approach. I think his for the most part, like his extended touches are generally coming on mismatches when he's when he's at the screen or he's you know he's a pick and roll ball handler on a wing, and then kind of someone's at the screen for him and he gets to attack the guard, kind of posting up, you know, on the wing there, you know, or into the mid post. So um, he's taking a lot of different types of threes. They're running some movement threes for him that we haven't really seen before. Um, they're, they're often kind of running after timeout plays to get him open threes. Um, he's letting it fly a ton above the break, you know, as a trailer. So, uh, I think his process and his usage has been really encouraging. Now it's just a matter of, you know, having the shots fall and him kind of figuring out the, the perfect balance between just letting it fly, still using that one, two, real pull up, still tacking the rim, um, kind of figuring all those things out. But, uh, yeah, I think he's, the process has been good. And, you know, as I've said on podcasts, as I've written everything I've, you know, touched on this preseason, like that's what's most important to me when I analyze preseason games is like, how are they going about trying to produce results rather than what are the results themselves? And with guys like Harden and Tobias, at least offensively, you have to be pretty encouraged. And I even like some of the stuff you've seen from Tobias defensively. I thought he was very good on on Monday, um, especially as a low man, like usually as a weak side low man kind of rotating on pick and rolls and drives. He hasn't been great throughout his career, but I thought he was aggressive, physical, attacking the glass as well kind of helping compensate for some of the small ball lineups when Tucker was in there. So um, been over, you know, overwhelmingly very encouraged by Tobias, even if the shots aren't falling yet, but he's a guy who's been a pretty good scorer throughout his career. It's just a matter of making sure he's comfortable, you know, with his shots and clearly making an effort to do so. Um, and now the results have to follow once these games, you know, start mattering in the win-loss column, uh, you know, come Tuesday. Yeah, that's interesting because with, with Tobias Harris, I've always – liked his size compared to you know especially when he's playing the three that that's something he can take advantage of we have seen them do a, do that throughout his, his tenure with the Sixers and and in the NBA where he gets switched on to a, a smaller guy or he's just got the the advantage in terms of a one-on-one matchup he's not hesitant to go to the block but then when, what happens is when he gets to the perimeter that's when you see the bad side of Tobias Harris so again he's not going to live up to being a 37 million dollar man at any point over the next couple of seasons but if you can kind of get him to to play up to his like the highest potential for his role. I think obviously, like you said, for a team with championship aspirations, that'll go a long way. Uh, Jackson, last couple of things I want to touch on with you before we wrap up for this one. When you're looking at the end of the, end of the bench, guys, uh, Isaiah Joe didn't get any run in this one. Charles Bassey didn't get any run in this one. But like you mentioned, you know, we're, we're seeing guys like Shake, Ferk, uh, Matisse, again, end of the bench. He was on the, on the, on the court in, in, in the fourth quarter when it was really just like, I'm talking the end, end of the bench guys, like the complete um, de- organizational depth. Like that's when we saw Matisse playing. Uh, he did have four points at a nice steal and a, and a, and a dunk on a, on a breakaway there. But when you're, when you're looking at him and, and Milton and uh, looking at FERC, like, do you think any of these guys are going to factor in 
at all come time for for Tuesday? Or do you think Doc has completely looked at this and said, like I mentioned, guys like Niang, we know he favors. He's going to be playing. Melton's obviously the first guy off the bench. Uh, House, you're going to have Harold, Paul Reed. Basically have 10 guys right there, although Reed and, and, and Harold are going to be interchangeable as the backup fives. But do any of those guys that we were so used to seeing being the first options off the bench last season uh, fit into the Sixers' plans, you think, at all come time for Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think Shake might, you know, you saw Shake in the rotation at times in the preseason. I think he could factor in. You know, we mentioned earlier kind of the lack of ball handling depth. Shake is obviously a flawed ball handler, but he is probably their fourth best ball handler. Make of that what you will, but I could see him getting some run at times as a 10th man. If they need a little more wing defense, I could see Matisse doing his thing. Uh, you know, obviously he has his own issues in terms of offense, but I think right now those would be the 10th and 11th men. Uh, you know, we mentioned Paul Reed already as a backup five. I don't really consider him to be someone who's like so much fighting for minutes. That's just a guy who's going to depend on a situation by situation basis. You can classify mm-hmm. that as fighting for minutes, but like, I don't think there's a lot he can do to carve out a consistent role. They're so, they're already so deep at the four, which is where you can play him at times. And then the five is going to be a, a rotating thing. It seems like based on the preseason and Doc's comments, as we said, so um shake and matisse would be my best bets but it, i just i don't think shake shown enough of an off ball guy or an on ball guy even to, to kind of make sense there and matisse you know has had three years to kind of figure out the offensive side of the ball i know that circumstances always i haven't always been great for him but i mean we're in year four where he does he puts the ball in the deck once every 19 games or has one good game from three and you know people are saying oh if he can just do this and it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and so i'm not necessarily trying to like you know shame him or anything like that but like i mean you're in year four he was a four-year college player like this isn't this isn't a guy who came in unpolished part of his uh, mm-hmm. appeal was as a pro ready rotation guy and if we're still kind of talking about his offensive flashes uh, in the four in the fourth year of the preseason uh you know as a sh- like the shooting star type thing you know i think we're in trouble so um the one the last thing i do want to say about tobias though as well is um through th- four preseason games 12 of the 22 shots were uh, threes, which is well over 50% of them. His career high for three-point rate was 36% in 2017-18, um, the year he was traded to the Sixers. Um, and then, you know, it post-Harden trade last year is about 38.5%, which would have been a career, obviously a small sample. But just to point out, clearly looking at a guy who has made a conscious effort to let it fly, and the results aren't quite there yet in terms of the ball going in the hoop. But this guy is absolutely trying to make it work in a new role on a really good team. So, um, that three should be encouraged, but of course he's going to have to hit him at 36, 37, 38%. But just wanted to kind of share those numbers because I do think it speaks to, you know, the, the effort Tobias is putting forth to be a really, really useful complimentary score is kind of a fourth option in that, that talented starting five. Well, Jackson, people are going to say if he's going to be, he has to be making that 36, 37, 38% because he shouldn't be making that 36, 37, 38 million either. So if he's not doing it, people are going to be pissed at him for sure. I want to wrap up on this. I know we didn't get much of a chance to uh, watch the game right now. The the Nets did beat the Bucks, uh, Brooklyn 107, 97. Again, preseason, nobody really cares. Uh, ben Simmons, though, did look pretty damn good overall. Got to catch some highlights in between. Finished with seven points, 10 assists, eight rebounds. Did a lot of good things in terms of off the pick and roll, being even the 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 pick setter a couple of times, which which I saw him doing highlights with Brooklyn. Uh, when you're looking at Ben Simmons, obviously didn't play the whole last season after kind of holding out, dealt with the back injuries, the mental health stuff, getting a fresh start with the Nets. What are your expectations for him this year? And looking at Brooklyn as a whole as well with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, is that a squad you're looking at? Like, damn, those guys could make some noise. Yeah, I think I think Brooklyn should should be really good. 
but there's just also it seems like there's always going to kind of be the the well this happened factor. I don't know what it's going to be this year, but it just it's just as tough. To, I don't know what it is. like. They're really talented. They have a really good rotation. Honestly, like should be up there you know, among the best. Um, they made some really nice moves uh, this offseason, signing Royce O'Neal or, or trading for Royce O'Neal. Um, sign either I can't remember who they signed. God, I'm, I'm blanking. They, um, gosh, look, I should know this, but. Um, you know, they get Joe Harris back, even though it seems like Joe Harris is still dealing with some ankle injuries. And Marquis Morris, I don't know if, that, if that's who you're going with, but yeah, Marquis. I mean, again, not going to change. Uh, it. No, I was thinking TJ Warren was the guy, TJ but Warren, okay, okay. He, he is still a you know a health risk, but really good roster. Um, I I've only watched the the Nets Sixers game in terms of preseason for the Nets. Uh, I thought Ben looked. You know, I, I haven't watched tonight. I haven't seen the highlights, so I don't know if he looks better, but he looked about the same guy we've always seen. And I do have some worries about how much Ben can be optimized because there's no stretch five on that roster besides Markeith Morris, who kind of seems to be the third string. But you're playing with guys like Nick Claxton, who's a rim runner. Um, their backup five is Dayron Sharp. It seems like there's also a rim runner. Can shoot a little bit, but I don't know if he's necessarily kind of pulling teams out of the paint for Ben. So I have some worries there, but obviously the defense is going to be there. The transition playmaking. Um, but like, you know, I've seen some people say this is the best situation ever, you know, of his career. I just don't know if that's the case because of how much attention Embiid garnered offensively. Mm-hmm. I think it really made things easier for Joel, um, which is just not going to be the case with the five he's playing with. And he just can't play the five for long stretches himself defensively. So um, I think this is a really good net team. I think Ben is going to have a good year most likely, but I, I, I do push back on some of the idea that like, oh, they have all this shooting around him and they do. But, you know, part of the reason he was such a good player, you know, in Philly is because Embiid commanded so much attention as a primary option offensively at the five to clear the lane for him. And that just isn't going to be the case with this Brooklyn squad. So have some reservations. But, yes, this Nets team should be really good, but they're very much in a kind of a I'll believe it when I see it just because of what's happened the last couple of years with them and all the on and off court happenings, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to give that's a situation you're gonna have to give 20 games. You know what I mean? Like, let's see what happens. Yeah. And and given the dynamics with Kevin Durant, Sean Mark, Steve Nash, you know, like that, that was obviously it's easy to say they've moved on from it. It's easy to say, um, you know, they're they're focused on the bigger picture. It's the same thing with like and we talked a little bit about uh, the Jordan Poole, Draymond Green thing. Sure, in a professional sense. And I agree with it. It's basketball. It happens. You know what I mean? I, I played on teams growing up, not comparing myself to a pro where, <laughs> yeah, things happen in a locker room. But um does that mean that the animosity is kind of is kind of just completely forgotten about no they're they're still human beings so i'm interested interested to see how that dynamic shakes out but i i do think ben is going to fit in really well there because there isn't any pressure on him to score actually there isn't any pressure on him to deliver in terms of being this dynamite offensive player and, and putting up 27 points a game uh we know what he is at this point but if he can do what he's doing in the playmaking standpoint, like he did against the Bucks tonight, I think that's going to go a long way. Uh, Jackson, let's wrap things up there. We'll finally get to talk about real basketball uh, in terms of the regular season. We'll be back doing this on, on Tuesday, following the Celtics uh, Sixers matchup. So thanks again, as always, for joining me and, and looking forward to talking about, again, games that actually count. We'll start that next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing one of these post-game pods where I don't have to say, well, it's just preseason. But here's what I'm, seeing. <laughs> I'm looking forward to saying, here's what I saw. Here's what it means, at least in the in the short term. So, uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. And we'll uh, we'll talk next week after uh, what should be a pretty fun game, win or loss, between the uh, Sixers and Celtics. Yeah, and the, again, everybody expecting those to be well. Some people expecting those to be two of the uh, of the three best teams in the conference. I know I certainly am too. So I'm looking forward to that game. And again, Jackson, just before you hang out there, uh, I did I did want to say as well. Next week, if somebody sucks, we're not going to be like, well, it's just preseason. Be like, no, hey, that guy sucked tonight. So that's that's <laughs> that's the other good part about it too.
Yeah, we yeah we don't have to couch everything. We can just say, yeah, he sunk it up tonight, or he was awesome tonight, or he yeah. was okay. We don't have to say, well, it's preseason. So yeah, I'm, I am uh, eagerly awaiting the uh, removal of the the caveats. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am too. Trust me, I'm I'm ready for the things to get actually rolling. The off season's always fun, but once you get into the regular season, there's kind of that lead up where the preseason's going on. You're kind of like, all right, enough is enough. But again, uh, we're gonna have you covered at Liberty Ballers uh, in terms of the podcast side of things, of course, the written side of things as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our network. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. We are there. We basically have five new shows coming at you every week. Uh, Jackson, Paul Hedrick, and myself will also be doing a live stream once a week as well. So keep an eye out for that, not only on our audio feed, but also on our YouTube page as well. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.